right, well, good morning. <clears throat> Great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, as you can probably tell, I'm fighting <clears throat> off a bit of a cold. Uh, our family went and got some time, uh, got some vacation together. <clears throat> And uh, which is great, uh, but inevitably, every time we do, we come back with a cold. So here we, we are, and maybe stand at a distance uh, from me. Um, a couple of quick uh, announcements, um, you know, just as we get started this morning, before we dive uh, into Jeremiah, uh, a couple of quick church, all church announcements. One, um, if, you're, if you're a guy, and if you haven't heard yet, or if you, don't, if you didn't remember, uh, today, after church, there's kind of a chili cook-off. And uh, we're going to be kind of gathering together, and if you'd like to come and, and hear about how you can kind of get connected into this new idea that we have about ways that we can grow together as brothers, but then also serve uh, our community, um, we'd love to have you. So even if you didn't sign up, please come join, and uh, we'd love to have you there. And then second thing is that next week, next Sunday, is going to look a little different, just so you guys are aware. Uh, next Sunday is part of a unique part of our Salem Rhythm, really, really fun, is that we have a Youth Sunday, and so the youth will come and they will uh, lead every element of this, and so it's really, really neat to see the next generation thrive and, and uh, shine and show off Jesus and their talents, and so if you could uh, come back and be a part for that, we'd, we'd love to see you. So, um, like I said, we were gone uh, this last week on vacation, and uh, you know, we went to the, to the booming, um, really, really warm area um, of Nebraska, and so we drove seven hours just south, and, but it was a lot warmer, I'll tell you that. Um, but we got, to, we got there, and one of the things that we got to do uh, together as a family, because my folks live there, um, was we got to go to a zoo. How many of you guys have heard of the Henry Dorley Zoo? Okay, just a few of you. If you don't know, um, it's supposedly, I mean, I, I don't know, um, supposedly one of the best, if not the best zoos in the entire nation, because uh, this is what we have to do in Nebraska to get people to come to us, right? It's the good life. And so we build massive giant zoos. Um, but it's really actually really neat, really neat zoo. <clears throat> and uh, for me, uh, like I kid you not, I, I could not have been more excited to go to the zoo. I mean, like I could have been just as excited. It's like we, we would have like going to like a theme park or an amusement park because I was so so excited to see uh, my daughter, who is three and a half, uh, engage with this massive zoo, right? All of these animals, and, and she's in this learning phase, and so she's excited and energized, and, and, uh, and so, like, we get there, and we're, like, there way early, and I kid you not, there's thousands of people in line. It's just crazy. It's a nice day out, I guess. Everyone's looking to get out. And so we had to wait, and we finally get through. Um, we finally get through, and we have our tickets, and we're in the, the middle, like in this front kind of gathering area. And, uh, and there's these, all these noises, like you're just taking it in, right? These people, the hubbub, the buzz, and the noise, and it's like, a, like the first baseball game of the season kind of thing. It's just crazy, awesome. I'm so excited. I'm like, let's get this thing going. Let's get on the road. Let's get... I want to see Eden's response to the first animal. And, but before we go anywhere, my wife does this, this really, really important thing. And she bends down next to our daughter and she says, she says Eden, she goes, um, if you get separated from mommy or daddy today, here's what you need to do. And it's like, it's like in that moment, Nikki opened a door in my brain. 
Because you got to remember, she's three and a half, and, and it's been COVID, right? It's pandemic. So we haven't really gotten this, this type of an opportunity. So here I am, and all of a sudden, I start, like, my brain starts filling with these, these, these ideas and ways about how we might lose our daughter. <laughs> and it's like, and it's terrifying me, and I go in this panic. And if you don't know this about me, I am a sympathetic crier. So, like, you, you show me, like, Seth, I got a moving, like, commercial I want to show you. I will cry. You know, like, and so I just have this active, intense imagination that allows me to see that moment. And it's like, she's talking to Eden and she, like, little did I know she was talking to me, (laughs) you know, in this moment. She's like, Eden, here's what you need to know. And I'm like, no, no, this is for me. (laughs) This is for me. And so I'm processing, and I, and I look down at my daughter, and I look up, and I see all the people, and I hear all the noises, and I look back down, and I look back up, and I'm like, and I'm like I bend back down, and I go, don't worry, sweetie, dad is never, never letting go of your hand for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, I was like, never am I letting go of your hand, um, <laughs> right? And I guess I was so concerned about losing my daughter. But in the, uh, in the weird case scenario, that she were maybe, well, maybe not weird, but if she were somehow to drift away from us, we know that people do this, right? Like kids do this, adults do this, when something catches our mind or our attention, we go, ooh, look, you know, a zebra, you know, and we go. So like in that case, it's very wise that we should, we should be thinking through these things. And so for me, what I, what, I, what I realized through this, and it fits perfectly with today, is that it's, it's fundamentally important, it's intrinsically important that, that for my success as a father, that I, in that moment, need to be able to look out in the crowd, as chaotic and as massive as it is, and I need to be able to see and distinguish my daughter from every other kid. And not only that, I need to be able to hear her voice and recognize it and go to it, right? And, and the reverse is also true for her. She needs to hear our voice. She needs to know our voices. She needs to know what we look like, and she needs to be able to gravitate towards us, right? It's fundamental to the success of our relationship that that actually works. And so this morning, we're going to be talking, as we dive into Jeremiah 23, we're going to be talking about sheep and shepherds, okay? But we've been in this series uh, in Jeremiah, and we've been talking primarily, because this is, this is not me, this is the book, the way it's written, we've been talking primarily about the judgment that God is bringing on his people. And the reason being is it's not just simple sin we're dealing with, we're dealing with this deep-seated idolatry where we've exchanged the glory of our creator for, for other things, way lesser things, right? So that's the bulk of the book. But here, the, the, the author here is going to switch, and God is switching, and he's going he's to shift to the idea of leaders. He's going to talk about leaders, right? But to talk about sheep and shepherds is, is to, to, to know the fundamental nature of sheep. And this is the way, this is, okay, guys, this is, uh, I wish I could show you the videos because the videos on this are epic. They're awesome, but because of copyright reasons, we can't do that. So I want to describe to you some of these videos that I watched this last week because you're like as boring as that sounds. They don't do it justice. Maybe we'll post them on Facebook later or something. Okay, so this is one. This is the nature of sheep, right? There's this sheep that is, that is totally, like, completely, 100% wedged its entire body in a massive crack in the ground. It's, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's so far down there, right? And so all you can see is kind of the, the hind side and the back leg, and this kid gets down, and he starts pulling on this leg, and it takes him a while, and eventually he pulls the sheep out of the crack. And as soon as, soon as, it's, as, soon as it's free, it goes, bop, 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 
straight back into the crack, like 20 feet ahead. And you're like, this is sheep. This is, by the way, this, this is the image that God uses to describe his people, okay? Um, this is us. This is, our, this is the nature of our heart. Um, and so it got me thinking, what else do sheep do? <laughs> so I Googled more, uh, and I found out, uh, that, yeah, you can do this. Uh, you can go do this later. Um, apparently, sheep, once they're on their back, can't get off of their back. Did you know this? This is fascinating uh, because their backs are so uh, like flat uh, and because they don't have the muscles (laughs) to do it, they can't actually get from their back to their feet. And so I'm watching this video and the guy's like, he's going, well, this this sheep is a little bit more overweight, so it's a little bit harder. But he's like, if you ever see a sheep like this, he said, you need to go flip it over, otherwise it will die. Just by laying on its back. It's the total inability to change its situation. Isn't that fascinating? Right? So you can Google that. Uh, Here's the next one, and I don't recommend Googling this one, but sheep will actually follow other sheep off of a cliff. You maybe have heard that, right? If one sheep goes, the other will just follow. They have no clue, no awareness of the consequences, right? And so here's the deal. When you think about the condition of the human heart, that, that it's, our, it's our inability to correct our situation. This is where the gospel needs to come in, right? This is where Jesus fits into the whole Old Testament story. We have this inability to correct our situation, and even when we're set free, all we do is bounce into cracks. Like, we go right back to where we were, right? This is, this is fundamental. It's a flaw of our, of our fallen nature. And so given that's true, right, knowing that that's true, we need, to, we need, to, we need someone to follow, <laughs> right? Um, And especially we need the right person to follow because if we're going to follow other sheep off of a cliff, that means that there's bad leaders (laughs) and there's people that we shouldn't follow. So here, it's fundamental. I just want to put up this umbrella statement for us this morning. It is fundamentally important to the success uh, of me as an individual, as a senior pastor, of you as an individual, and as us as an entire church. It's fundamentally important uh, that we understand that who we follow in this life matters very much because this is our tendency as a human heart, is to, is to follow the wrong people and it's to do the wrong things, right? That's, that's the nature of our hearts. And so we need to, we need to understand that. And, and, I, and I love this, um, we live in a world, like if we were to kind of, before we jump into Jeremiah, we, we just think about the cultural context of our world and the amount of voices there are to follow right, in, in this space. Um, like Dallas Willard says it this way, I love it. He says uh, that we live in, in a world from birth to death with wall-to-wall noise, some silent, some not so silent. Right, so what he says is that the very moment that you enter onto like the, this tiny little sphere of a planet in the midst of the cosmos, the moment that you enter into the story to the very day that you die, you are surrounded with the voices of other people. And it's wall to wall. Some of those voices are loud and some of them are quiet. And some of those voices are good voices and some of them are not so good voices, right? I don't know if you know this, but research shows that if you sit, sit down in a chair in, like in a quiet space, in an ideal sitting space, you can process eight sounds at a time. So now I want you to imagine me at the zoo right? The thousands of people, the images and the sounds all coming in at me. And, you're, and what you're doing is you're processing, but you can really only do eight at a time. How hard is it to distinguish my daughter's voice from that? Like, it's so hard, 
right? And there's this mutual thing. It's fundamental to, the, to our relationship that we need to be able to do that, though, right? And so the amount of information that we as humans are processing at any given time, zoo or not, is, is absurd. There's so much information, and there's so many voices, right? And we have family, we have friends, we have coworkers, we have bosses, right? Uh, we have social media, we have TV and movies, right? We have all of these things. Some of those voices are louder than others. And some of them are quieter, some of them are good, some of them are not so good, but it's fundamental to the success of us as a church that we be able to distinctly pull out and choose the voice of our Father and to follow Him. But it's our nature to go away, right? But we need to be able to hear that voice. And so whether you are a kid, right, or you're a, like a youth, or you're a college, or you're a young adult, or you're an adult, or you're one of our elderly, like this, this umbrella statement, right? It's fundamentally true for all of us in this life, no matter our age. Who we follow matters. It's very significant. It's very crucial to the success of our spiritual walk uh, with Jesus. So to talk about sheep, to talk about shepherds, is to talk about leadership. Leadership is incredibly important, right? So in Jeremiah 23, where we're going to dive in this morning, uh, God is shifting his attention from the sheep to the shepherds, right? So we're going to talk about the shepherds and their, and their leadership. So here we go. We're going to jump in in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Let's just stop there for a second. Um, because here's, this, is what's, this is what's crazy, right? You, you think about sheep in a pasture, like how chaotic can that be? Right? You get this, this image, this picture of sheep grazing in this nice, green, lush field. This is, this is the image that, that would, should come to mind when we think of sheep. And the, and the shepherd is just there. Like he's tending his sheep, he's caring for them, and, and whatnot. Right? And instead, what God says is that he replaces that, that scene of peace with a scene of chaos. And he says that you, as a shepherd, are bringing destruction to my sheep. And so that word, uh, to destroy, simply means to, to perish in Hebrew. Um, like just, like just means to die. And so when you think about it from that perspective, right, it takes on a different meaning. But in, its, in this form, as it is in Hebrew, it takes on this causative role, this causative nature. So it's the shepherds who are actually, or fi- they're not actually killing the sheep, but they are figuratively bringing death to the flock because of their bad leadership. They're bringing death to the flock. So these are the very people who are supposed to be caring for and loving them and tender, protecting, all of that stuff. And what God says is, wow, guys, you got it way wrong. Uh, You're failing at this miserably, miserably failing. Uh, And to get a better picture uh, of that, um, you actually, if you have a Bible, you can turn. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But Ezekiel chapter 34, Ezekiel is a contemporary of Jeremiah uh, in, in Jeremiah's later years. And he picks up on this same idea in chapter 34, and he, he reads this a little bit more lengthily. So hear what, he, hear, hear what he has to say. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, uh, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, right? Here's the most natural question that you should ask after this, right? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Right? That's the scenario, 
right? So instead of protecting and feeding the sheep, what are they doing? They're just feeding themselves, right? But he goes on. Here's what he says about that. He says, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. He's taking everything that you're supposed to be surrendering and sacrifice for, you're actually taking from these people, and you're using it for yourself, right? The wool, the fat, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. But it's more than just that. He goes on to this. There's this justice piece, right? He says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Like, like you get this picture of this shepherd in the middle of a field, and he's like, whatever, go do what you want. Like, you can go climb over there, you can go climb over there, you can live life however you want, right? In fact, but while you're doing it, I'm going to take everything of yours and use it for myself. This is the shepherd. He says, here's the result, though. Here's the consequence of that. They were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they actually became, these people became food for the wild beasts. So these, these beasts come and devour the sheep. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains, and on every high hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Right? It's this powerful, powerful statement against these shepherds, right? And so at some point in the line, right, so like as, as, as leaders, guys, it's easy. It's easy to lead without leading, isn't it? It's easy to hold a position of leadership, but not actually lead, right? Because you can take everything that you want, but if you're not actually helping the people, that's, that's not leading, right? And so it's somewhere in this path, whatever this looks like for them, it's probably started small and got bigger, but at some point it was like, ah, gosh, I really, it's, it's, it's really hard for me to call that person out on that sin, right? Oh, gosh, they're doing it too. Oh, you know what? Actually, hey, let's just, let's just let them do it. Right? And then on, over time, it's like, you know, these priests, these, these priests, these shepherds are allowing the people to, to live a life of idolatry. And somewhere in that, they realize that this is good for them and it's good for us. Right? Like, we get the benefits. Like, look at all the food that we get, the clothes that we get. I got this really cool tent with special dazzly things on the side. Like, the things that we don't think about, you know? Like cool backsplash, <laughs> you know, I don't know what it's like, right? But here's like, this is good for them, it's good for us, so maybe we just let them do it. And over time, the shepherds, their, their allowance of the sin turned into their own idolatry. And this is the way the life that I want it to look like, and this is the life that I want it to be, Right? Right? This, is, this, is, this is interesting, the way that God is actually wrestling through this with people. Right? He's, he's showing this to us. And so as I think through this in my own life, as I think through it maybe in our own lives, um, it's really easy to see us string bad decisions together. Right? And then kind of each one can kind of grow with its, with its effects and therefore maybe its consequences or however. Right? But it's easy to string bad decisions together. Um, it takes leaders to step into those moments. So um, I was um, at, a, at a gas station once. This is, I don't know how many years ago. 
I was at a gas station, and it was really cold outside, and so I'm out, like, pumping gas, and, and I see this van pull up, and the, the van pulls up, right, and then they park, and, uh, and here's mistake number one, by the way, okay, um, bad choice number one, they leave the car running, right, they leave the car running, and so it's to keep it warm, which I get, because it's cold out, and they come around, and they start fueling the car, and I got, okay, bad decision number one, right, and I'm off on the side, right, um, bad decision number two, I see the person lean back up against the car, pull out a cigarette, and start to smoke. I was like, whoa, dude, <laughs> that's bad. It was like, like red flag. First one was a yellow flag, red, yellow card, now it's a red card, right? right? Like, this is, this is really not good. Um, and uh, so for me, in this moment, like, I am concerned for my safety because I'm within a zone, Right? I am within a space that if something bad were to happen, I would be affected by this. So there's something inside of me, everything inside of me wanted to run to this person and like grab the cigarette very gently, you know, or stop or whatever. And let's say, guys, this is, this is a bad decision. You should stop this, right? There's a piece of me that wanted to do that. And there was a piece of me that wanted to flee and wanted to run as far away as possible outside of that zone because I was concerned of my own safety. And that's the tension that we experience in leadership. There's these, these string decisions that kind of come together, right? And we see that. Now, here was, here was bad decision number three, right? As I looked into this moment, like as I'm peering through this lens, as I remember it, I see their kids sitting in the front seat. And I'm like, no. You know, and I, and I, out of fear, I didn't do anything. Now, whether I should have or not, maybe I should have, but I chose not to. That's the tension that we feel as leaders, is that we need to be able to enter in, and we as people, anyone in general needs to be able to enter into another person's life in this way when there's a string of bad decisions, right? But here's what it shows, that there's something fundamentally flawed in human leadership, Right? Because we're talking about shepherds, and God is talking about the, the, the shepherds of, of Israel at this time, which include the prophets, the priests, the kings, all those people. Right? Um, and so there's something fundamentally flawed about the shepherds, is that shepherds are sheep too. Right? We can't ever forget that. Shepherds are sheep. Like we, in the same way, had that same problem where we're sheep on our backs, and we are incapable and unable to get out off of our back. Right? We have the same fundamental flaws as every other person. And, and as I was thinking about this this week, as I was doing the questionnaire, like I was, I was reading through this, and I thought, man, like, okay, here's this question. Right? Um, a really good senior pastor would answer this one. But should I put that one? Because my heart, if I'm honest, is right here. So where am I, right? And this is why it's so important for us to wrestle through these things because our, our spiritual walk, which is, is always in flux and it's always changing and we always need correction. And that's the flaw of human leadership. But that's not the way that God operates, right? God sees this in the story and he knows this about humans and he says, by the way, despite your total inadequacy, here's how I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to fix it, not you. Right? If you look in chapter 23, Jeremiah 23, um, verse 3, here's what he says. Right? He says, I will gather the remnant of my flock. Right? I will gather. 
the remnants of my flock, out of all of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. You see, what God says is, he goes, guys, I'm going to bring them back, not you. I'm going to do it. Right? And just imagine, we have to put ourselves back in this story because it's really, it's really easy for us to miss the emotional tension that's in this text. Because, because these are people who are exiled to a totally different country, right? And so for them, when God says, I want to bring you home, we go, that's a really good thing from our perspective. Like, you go on a trip, like, like Nikki and I, we were on this trip this last week, and we had all these great experiences, but then we come back and we open up the door of our home the very first time, right? And it's that first moment you smell your house, right? It's that first cup of brewed coffee, right? That when you sleep in your own bed that's like molded and shaped to your body, you know, you're like, wow, this is so good. This is so great, right? We think about that and we go, man, like that's powerful. And it is. It's intrinsically powerful. But for them, the story is very different because there's something that's off. There's something that's missing because their story is that their home has been destroyed, And we'll find this out later, but when Jerusalem is actually under siege, people have to use parts of their own house to build a wall on the outside to keep the wall from falling down. So they're using their own resources to try and keep the invaders, the Babylonians, out. Right? And so it's not hard for us to picture some of these types of things because of all of the images in our minds from the news with Ukraine, right? Like people come back to their homes and they have an entire wall that's missing. Your favorite painting is gone. Your kitchen is in shambles, so you can't cook a meal, right? And it's this powerful image in our mind as we begin to wrestle through this. Because this is, this is the way that life was for them. So God says, I'm going to bring you home. Which, by the way, guys, there are people that may be in our congregation, people here today, or people who are watching online who have had to flee from their homes, Right? And so for many of us, maybe we don't get that, but there are some here who probably do, who've had to move away from that and don't have that same privilege. Imagine being on the other end of that story. It's incredibly painful, incredibly hard. And so what God says, he goes, guys, I understand the brokenness of this story. So as he invites them home, as as powerful and as as significant of a move that this is, he says, I'm going to bring you back, which is great. There's restoration here. But he says, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the pain, the ruined city, the ruined home, the ruined lives, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up shepherds who care for you, who love you, and guide you, right? That's what he's going to do, right? He's talking about this restoration, but it's bigger than that. It's actually way bigger than that, because I don't know if you caught this in these words. There's these words that, that they shall be fruitful and multiply. Do those words sound familiar? Where else would you find those words? Genesis, right? So if you travel all the way back to the creation story, God creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the garden, and what's the creation mandate? Be fruitful and multiply. And so what what he's doing in this is he's like laying sneakily, I might add, he's sneakily layering in this gospel story into this Old Testament because what he's doing is he's inviting us as readers into this pre-sin scenario, right? He's inviting us back to this moment when sin was not an issue, right? 
And so it's kind of like you go, man, okay, so how is this going to get played out? What does he mean by that? Well, the readers, they, they don't know. They don't know how that's going to get worked out. But here's what we do know. God says it has nothing to do with how you lead. If that's going to happen, it has everything to do with how I lead. He says, I will bring you back. I will do this, right? So it's totally dependent on our creator, right? It's going to happen through God. So as we jump over to our trusty board, forgive me, but I'm going to make a really, really bad joke here. Um, These are the really bad, thank you, I got a few giggles, yeah. The bad shepherds, right? This is, this is what, these are the people that God is, is, is you know, um, bringing his wrath again. So he's bringing his judgment. So if we were to draw these people, right? So these are people who have everything uh, that, they could, that they could need, right? Um, I'm going to give them really large mouths because really what they're doing is they're consuming, 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 right? They're eating and eating and eating and eating and taking, and they're doing it at the expense of who? The sheep, the people that they are called to love, serve, and protect, and care for are down here, and they're getting trampled and lost in the process. Yes, God doesn't dismiss that these people have idolatry, they have their own issues, but the leaders have a role to play in the story. They're not leading well because they're not dealing with what's happening here, if that makes sense right? So what happens in this moment is that whenever God brings judgment on this leader, what does he do? Is he creates a vacancy. When he creates a vacancy, that vacancy needs to be filled. And so he switches from this image of, of the bad shepherds, and he's going to switch to this futuristic king, right? This, this righteous branch. He said, I, I'm concerned with this idea that who we follow matters, but not just who you follow. You need to be following the right person, right? And that's what he's going to describe in the righteous branch. So look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Here's what it says. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he, excuse me, he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so we'll come back to that in a second. Um, I want you to, to think about this for a second. The righteous branch, right? This branch idea. Where in the world does that come from? Because Jeremiah kind of throws it in here, and as, and as we as 21st readers, 21st century readers, we, we hear that word, and we're like, gosh, I haven't really seen that throughout this whole book. So, like, what in the world is he talking about, okay? Well, so here's what we're going to do. Um, if you like learning new things, I'm going to teach you a couple new things this morning. We're going to do a really quick deep dive uh, so you can put on your thinking cap. But if you don't like that, you can like close your eyes and take a quick nap for a second. And then you can come back and join us here in, in a little bit, okay? But take a look at these, these next verses, okay? Because what Jeremiah is pulling from is he's connecting it in Isaiah, right? When this branch idea starts kind of coming out in, in the prophecies, And here's what Isaiah says. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch, right? You see that? And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, we'll come back to that. But also below is this from Matthew 2.23, right? And you go like, well, what in the world does this all have to do? I'll tell you here in a second. Here's what it says. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Can I tell you this for a second? Uh, Nowhere is that bottom line in any of the prophets. 
So you're like, well, what in the world? Like, why? why can, how can Matthew even say that? Like, what, and, and how does all this really fit together? Okay, all right, so come back to me. Come back to the board here. This, we're still deep diving here for a second. Okay, so we're talking about the righteous branch, right? Um, so in Isaiah, what he does is that he starts by telling this story about a stump of Jesse. Um, so if you were to picture kind of this massive tree, right, like right here, okay? What he's picturing is this tree. The tree represents the people and the nation of Israel. And he's doing that through the line of this guy named Jesse, who, by the way, is the father of this cool Old Testament king by the, way, by the name of David, right? And so what happens is, is that there's this tree. But when sin and idolatry enter into the world, what God has to do is he has to shashunk, he chops the tree down. And this is, how he, this is how he's dealing with this, the sin and the idolatry in his people. But he doesn't like, you know, uproot the whole tree. He leaves the stump, right? The stump is still here, right? But most of the tree is gone. And so what Isaiah says as he's referring to this Messiah figure uh, is that out of the stump is going to grow this stick. It's going to come out of this this stump, which by the way, um, this, this language of stick or branch becomes a prominent theme in, in the whole messianic uh, prophecy and fulfillment. And so Jesus, in some sense, as he fulfilled that, would have been known, or the Messiah would have been known as basically the stick guy, the stick man, okay? So here's my fancy little stick guy, like growing up like out of this stump, right? That's kinda, it's kind of funny, right? So here's how this all then connects together, right? If you think about Matthew, as he's talking about this town called Nazareth. Nazareth is the word that comes from the Greek, um, but in the Hebrew, the word for Nazareth is not seret, not seret, okay? The, the, the core, or the roots of that word is this word, which is the word natser. Do you want to know what natser means? It means Stick. And so what Matthew's doing in all of his cleverness is that he's seeing that Jesus came out of Nazareth, and so he's going to talk about stick man who came from stick town. Isn't that, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Right? It's humorous the way that he talks about this, right? And so it's, it literally means like the sticks. And when we think about the sticks, we think about like this hole in the wall town and kind of in the middle of nowhere. And that's really what Nazareth was. So when, when Jesus meets this guy named Philip, and Philip goes and meets his friend Nathaniel, and he, Philip is talking to Nathaniel, and what does he say? He says, I found the Messiah. This is great news. He comes out of Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel's response is, What good could ever come out of that town? That's stick town. That's in the middle of nowhere. It's like nothing. There's nothing there. There's no one of any significance or value. That's kind of what he's saying, right? Which, by the way, and nobody laughed at this in the first service, but I think it's funny. Where do you find Nathaniel when, when they talk together? You find him under a tree. <laughs> you find him under a massive stick. <laughs> and he's talking about the stick town. And God like, has this sense of humor and irony, and he's talking about stick man from stick town underneath a tree, <laughs> underneath a giant stick, which is kind of funny, right? And so, but Jeremiah, he picks up on this idea, and he's talking about this righteous branch. And it's not just stick man, right? He's going to attribute all of these titles to this messianic figure, 
right? He's going to attribute all these special titles to this figure, which, by the way, you see, like, what's coming into this guy's mouth and what's coming in here, right? Like, this is what's being attributed to him, and this is what he's consuming. This is a stick guy uh, who has nothing. This guy has everything that he could want. Bad leader, good leader. Interesting contrast here, isn't there, right? And so Jeremiah comes back to this, this branch figure, and here's what he says in this, in this passage. Here's all the different things he talks about. He says, I will raise up for David. David, right, was the, the line of the kings, right? Which, by the way, who was, what was David before he was a king? Shepherd, right? Right back into it. Uh, righteous branch, which means that he will be in the right, who will do all of this in goodness, um, he will reign as king, so it's not a prophet, it's not a priest thing. There's this monastic rule to it. Uh, he will deal wisely, that sounds good, right? He will execute justice and righteousness, that sounds really good. Uh, all Judah will be saved, and we will all dwell securely. <laughs> That's pretty powerful stuff, right? But he ends with this, this line. It's this line, the Lord is our righteousness. Next slide, sorry. So he ends, he climaxes with this, this final statement about the Lord is our righteousness. Okay, it's not, not showing up. That's okay. So there it is. The Lord is our righteousness. The, the word righteous means vindication uh, um, or victory. And so when you compare this one to all the other Old Testament like references in the Old Testament about the Messiah figure, it's really easy to see why people were like so, were so ready for this Messiah figure to be a political military guy. Because when you think about their current situation of exile and they've been destroyed and they've lost all of their lands, it's like, gosh, he will be our victory. He will be our vindication. And so you go, wow, this is incredible. So the amount of hope that's being placed on this character is deeply immense, right? Deeply immense that what's being placed on this character. And we're going to see this in a couple of weeks when we come to Palm Sunday and we look uh, at, the, at the triumphal entry. Everybody's expectation of Jesus is that he's going to be this military, powerful ruler of a king, right? And then a week later, he dies. And they have this total disappointment because their expectation was off. Because what they saw and what they expected God to work was totally different than what God was doing. And that happens in our life over and over and over for all of us on a weekly basis, for each of us. Like we, if we're honest, we would say that is us too. We have these expectations of Jesus. Because when life is going well and it's being penned out or written in a way that it's at least akin or similar to the way that I would write it, I go, wow, praise God, this is amazing. But as soon as that script flips and changes, we place all of our burdens and our expectations right back on who? Jesus. And we say, you're doing this wrong. This is not the way that it's supposed to go. This is my expectation. This is how it ought to be. And it's in those moments that we miss the way that God oftentimes brings fulfillment into this world. Because even in this text in Jeremiah 23, when it says that the Lord is righteous, it has this double meaning. Because what God is working on is something far deeper and greater in the story. Check this out in Romans 3. It says, as it is written, none is righteous. There's that word. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. And no one does good, not even one. 
You see, this is the fundamental problem that God sends his son to fix. And Jesus knows that. He knows what's in front of him because it's been prophesied. Check this out in Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root, right? Out of dry ground. That's that branch idea, right? It's the same stuff. He had no form or majesty. He was stick man from stick town. He had nothing. Nothing that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This powerful image of Jesus. Jesus knows this and he picks up on the story and he says this in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. You see, he's bringing these stories together, right? So for, for Jesus, he enters in, and this is how we end, right? He says, I am the good shepherd. And so what he is doing is he's acknowledging this whole story. He's acknowledging this whole history. And he says, if we were to make kind of this really weird math equation, we would take this plus this and we would move us straight into John 10. And so Jesus combines, in this phrase, he combines these images, and he brings them together and says, I am a shepherd, but I'm the righteous branch, and so I can make this right. Besides everything, apart from everything that all these people could ever do, I can do it differently. How does he do it differently? He says, by the way, here's what makes me good. Here's what makes me do what other people can't because he is part of the Trinity, right? He says, I actually lay my own life down. He says, I will become the broken. I will become the trampled. I will become the beaten person. I will be that for you. That's what makes him good. But not only that, he says later in John, but also this is why the Father loves him because I can raise it back up and I come back out of death and I come back into life with the resurrection, which is where we're moving with Easter, right? This joyful, incredible celebration. And what Jesus does in this moment is that you can read this later in John 10 if you want. And he says, by the way, I have more sheep that I want to bring into my fold. I have more sheep that I want to bring into my pen. And so what he's doing is he's, he's reversing the scatter piece. These people scattered everybody into the mountains. And here Jesus, in his death, his resurrection, he invites everybody back from the mountains. Every place where they've been scattered, he says, come to me because I can give you life abundant. That's the difference. Right? And that's the story. And this gospel piece that's so prevalent that starts even in Jeremiah. And what I love about in John 10 is he, fulfills, he finishes this. He says, here's the deal. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You know, my favorite thing about being a dad right now is that when, I'm in a, when I come into a room and my daughter sees me from the other side of the room, she screams, dada and runs to me and clings to my leg, right? If a stranger were to do that, she wouldn't do it. 
It's the same thing with God. We ought to know his voice in the midst of the chaos, distinguish it, separate it, and listen to it, not to follow strangers, but to follow the Lord. And so here's my encouragement to you this morning. Guys, wherever you're at, if you're scattered in the mountains, like, you know, you're, you're wherever, you're far from God, right? Whatever that is, would you hear the voice of your father? Would you distinguish it? And would you run back to him? Because this is why Cave Table Road, we talk about this here at Salem, Cave Table Road, right? Uh, This is why this is so important. These rhythms are so important because those are the rhythms that draw us close to Jesus, that allows us to be right there with him, right? And to hear his voice and to do what he does. Right? That's what the world needs today, is more people who do that. And yet, I talk to more people day in and day out, week in and week out, who know those are the right rhythms to do, and yet they go, ah, but I just lose track of time and I don't do it. There's this call, this voice from the Father that says, I want you. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we wrap up our time uh, this morning, as we, as we turn to you, I just was thinking uh, about, um, I was thinking about life group from this week and in John chapter one, as we looked at as a group and there's these simple words that John writes about John the Baptist and he says, there was a man, his name was John, he was sent from God, he was not the light. God, I'm not the light. No person in this room is the light, right? Our job is to be molded and shaped and brought into transformation to become like the light, to be Jesus, to be like Jesus, to become more and more like him. And in the midst of that process that we point other people, we bear witness to Jesus. We are not the light, but you, your son, Jesus, you are the light. And so Lord, I pray this morning uh, that, uh, that we, in the midst of this zoo-like noise, whatever's going on in our life, with all of the chaos and all of the voices and, the, and everything else, Lord, I pray that your voice would be louder than everything else, that we would be drawn to you. We would hear your voice, that we would stop following strangers, and we'd hear your voice, and we would follow you, because you give life abundant. Lord, we love you, and you're going to pray. Amen.